The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. into this Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at the first 12 verses, and this is uh, often referred to as the Beatitudes. Somebody say Beatitudes. Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The Beatitudes are attitudes a believer should display. These are the attitudes. This is what, as, as people who are kingdom of God people, these are the attitudes that should define our character, that should define our nature. This is kind of like our kingdom goals. Like this is what we're going for. This is what we want to be uh, showing to the world. This is what we want to be modeling for our children. But what you're going to see as we look at these today is that m- all of these are in major contrast to the attitudes that the world uh, champions. And so if we're going to live this way, we're going to have to really pay attention to what Jesus is saying here. And there's a blessing attached to living this way. Look at this with me. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1. It says this, And seeing the multitude, he went up on the mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. First thing I want you to notice here is Jesus is seated and everyone else is standing. Which if this church continues to grow, we may have to go that route. (laughs) Just take out all these seats. I'll sit down, you guys can stand. Kind of sounds good to me. You know one of the reasons they used to do that is so it kept people awake. Because people tend to get sleepy. So if you see somebody trying to sleep during the service today, elbow or pinch him. Pinch him, pinch him, whatever you want to do. Get him, all right? Bruise him, let's go, all right? Verse two, Jesus opened his mouth and taught them saying, verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit, or maybe it's blessed, I don't know. What sounds more holy to you? Blessed? Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for they so persecuted the prophets who were before you. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing in our life. Thank you for what you're doing in this church. Thank you that you're here today and that we've come to hear from you today, Lord. Not to hear from a man, but to hear from a living God. And so we ask you to speak to each and every person in here. Lord, I pray that you would use me over the next few minutes, not to bring glory to my name, but to bring glory to yours. And that as I minister your gospel that you've placed on my heart this week, that it would minister to each and every individual in here, that they would walk away feeling like they had a personal encounter with Jesus today and received a personal word from the Lord today. Only you can do that, Lord. And so I pray that you would show up in a powerful way and we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for what you're going to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Smile at the person beside you and say, Beatitudes. These are the attitudes a believer should display. Now, right off the bat, you probably noticed something. Uh, The Bible talks about these blessings that are attached to these attitudes. And when you think about it, like these, these blessings are not, well, like what they're associated with is not the kind of stuff that you would typically think as being blessed. Like blessed are the poor. 
Blessed are they who are persecuted. Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are they who are thirsty. But according to the kingdom, this is the stuff that leads to the blessing of God. Now, I'm going to help you understand what this stuff means today, but it's important that you understand like God's ways are different. God's ways are very different. And so when, when it talks about being blessed, in fact, eight times here we're told, you know, blessed. That idea of blessed, actually, in the Greek, it means, oh, how happy. So it's like Jesus was literally saying, oh, how, how happy are they who display this attribute? Oh, how, how happy are men who display this attribute? Oh, how happy are women who are displaying this attribute? There's this idea of happiness attached to doing things God's way. Now, when I talk about happiness, I'm, talk, I'm not talking about worldly happiness. I'm talking about happiness at a different level. This idea of being blessed is, is, is this, actually. This is the definition. Blessed means a joy which has its secret place within itself. A joy which is serene and untouchable. Somebody say it's untouchable. A self-contained joy which is completely independent about, of all the changes of life. The, the blessed life that God is talking about, the beatitude blessing, is that your joy is untouchable. That, that your joy is not circumstantial. You can live in a world where you can have circumstances come against you, and yet it doesn't affect your joy. So a beatitude believer can have you know, something happen, like they lose their job, and their joy is not affected because their joy is secured in God. A beatitude believer is someone who maybe, you know, the candidate that they voted for didn't get elected, and yet their joy is not touched because their joy is settled in God. A beatitude believer can go to the doctor and get a bad report, and it doesn't really touch their joy because their joy is settled in God. Young people, a beatitude believer is someone who maybe you didn't make the team, maybe you didn't make the grade, maybe you didn't get into the college that you wanted to get into, but your joy is not touched because your joy is settled in God. Beatitude believers are untouchable. In fact, say that with me. Beatitude believers are untouchable. So Jesus isn't saying that you're not going to face stuff in this world, but what he's saying is when you face stuff, it's not going to be able to steal your joy away because your joy is hidden in Christ. Your joy is hidden in God, and your faith is in him, and so you're settled. So the blessed life that God is calling us to is a life where our joy is untouchable. Like the blessed life isn't just that you got all the money in the world and you got a really cool car and you got a big old mansion house. Like that's not the blessed life. The blessed life is where you cannot have that stuff and still have joy. That's the blessed life. And God invites us to that kind of life. So we're going to look at these eight Beatitudes today. And I'm telling you, I'm going to have to move kind of quickly because there's eight of them and I got 32 minutes to cover them all. Uh, but I, and I'll say this too, I'm going to, leave a, I'm going to leave some meat on the bone for you this week. I'm going to cover what, what God kind of placed on my heart to share with you. But there's some, there's some deeper study for you. I want to encourage you this week to go back. And especially if God is speaking to you related to one of these Beatitudes, I want to encourage you, make sure you go back and you dig into that yourself and do some study and dig into what God may be saying to you in that. But we'll, we'll hit on these. Let's go to the first one. The first one is this, blessed are the poor in spirit, Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, how happy are those who are poor in spirit. Joy is untouchable for those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Poor in spirit means this. It means admitting spiritual bankruptcy and having a humble, and notice this word, and honest attitude toward yourself. Now, I'm grateful that in my life I have never had to file for bankruptcy. That's never happened. But I do understand what it means to be bankrupt. 
Bankrupt means you don't have enough. Bankrupt means in yourself, you can't cover the debt. You can't take care of what needs to be taken care of. And so you, you're, you're declaring, I can't handle this myself. I declare bankruptcy. And so what, what God is inviting us to is this idea of spiritual bankruptcy is recognizing that in ourself, we don't have enough. Romans 12 says it like this, verse 3, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Now notice it doesn't say don't think of yourself. It says when you think of yourself, think of yourself with sober judgment. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. You know, there's, a, there's an idea that exists in the world today that gets championed, and I've even seen it championed kind of in the church, it's this idea that you are enough. Hashtag, you are enough. You're enough. And the problem with that, and I get why people say it and they share it, is because the opposite is how a lot of people live. We think so poorly of ourselves that we can't get over that. Like we've got such a, a low self-esteem, a low self-image that we can't see things the right way. And so this idea that you're enough kind of helps people get out of that. But I want you to know that's not really a kingdom attitude idea. Like you in yourself, listen, are not enough. Jesus says it like this in John 15, 5. Here's some sober judgment for you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. No thing you can do. So listen, on your own, you're not enough. But through Christ, you can do all things. In Him, you have more than enough. So it's not that... that you are enough. You're like, that's not a truth. But the truth is that in Jesus, through Jesus, you are enough. You have enough. But what we have to come to terms with is, hey, in myself, I can recognize that I don't have enough. I can't earn my righteousness. My righteousness is filthy rags. I'm a mess. Apart from you, Lord, I'm going to hell. Apart from you, I can't be the father I'm called to be. I can't be the husband I'm called to be. I can't be the student I'm called to be. I can't be anything I'm called to be. Apart from you, God, I need you. I can do nothing. And so I welcome you in because I am not enough, but in you, I have enough. Amen. Here's number two. Blessed are those who mourn. Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, this one's super interesting. Blessed are those who mourn. Oh, how happy. Like, this is like, almost like an oxymoron. Oh, how happy are those who mourn. Like, how joy untouchable for those who who mourn. Like that doesn't even seem like it could be a thing. And maybe you're like me, like growing up, you know, I kind of thought of mourning as something that you do when you go to a funeral and somebody that you love has died. Because that's where you hear, you know, mourning is normally talked about. You go to a funeral, someone that you love, someone that you cared about, cared about has passed away and they tell you, hey, it's, it's okay to mourn. If you mourn and you invite the Lord into this, he'll, he'll comfort you. And listen, that is an absolute truth. That is absolutely truth. But, but there's more than that. See, this idea of mourning isn't just that you mourn the loss of a loved one. There's another idea to it, and that's that you mourn the sin of the found one. Well, let, me see, let, me, let me show you what I'm saying. Just because you got saved doesn't mean you're not going to have sins. It doesn't mean you're not going to have some sins that you struggle with. In fact, struggling with sin is not a bad thing. To struggle means that you contend with an adversary. You should be struggling with sin. Yeah. You should be contending with the adversary of sin that's trying to come against you. Right. So you're going to have some sin. But the problem is sometimes we continue to walk in some sin, some patterns, some different stuff. 
And the reason we don't, we're not able to overcome it is because we don't understand how to mourn the sin that we're continuing to walk in. Let me show you this in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly sorrow or godly mourning, look at this, it produces, notice that word, there's a product that comes from godly sorrow, godly mourning. What is it? Repentance. You know what repentance means? It means to turn away. So if you're a Christian, you're a believer, and you've still got a sin in your, in your life, you want to turn away from it. One of the ways you do that is through godly sorrow, godly mourning. Now, I'm not talking about worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is rooted in this idea of self-centered me sorrow. Worldly sorrow says, man, I got to get this right because if I don't, it's going to hurt me. Like, I got to quit doing drugs because if I don't stop doing drugs, it's going to hurt me. I could lose my job. I could lose my income. I, I'm going to let people down. I don't, that would be embarrassing. I don't want that. I got, I got to quit. You know, I got to stop looking at porn because if I don't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt my spouse. I could wreck my marriage, hurt my children. I got to stop this. You know, I'm struggling with anger. I got to deal with this anger because I'm, I'm hurting my, my, my image and my family. My kids are going to not want to be around me someday because I'm so because I'm violent or whatever it is. I've got this sin in my life. And, 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 but what we're focusing on is me, me, me. How is this affecting me? That's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow doesn't just focus on you. It focuses on your Savior. See, we mourn because, because someone died, right? And when you're mourning sin, what you're mourning is Jesus died for my sin. And this sin I'm continuing to walk in is one that Jesus took lashes for. It's a sin that he, he was held to that cross and he stayed on that cross to cover this sin. And, and me continuing to walk in this is not, is not okay. Yeah. So Lord, I, I'm asking you, I pray, I, I'm asking, I'm inviting you, Holy Spirit, help me get a revelation of my sin that I continue to walk in and what it means and what it looked like on the cross. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be a Roman soldier. Lord, give me a revelation. And what happens when you do that is the Bible says you'll be comforted. You know what that word comforted means? It means to call to one side, to call for, to summon. When you take this approach, what you're doing is you're saying to God, God, would you come alongside me? I'm summoning you, Lord. And guess what God does? He shows up and he begins to help you to walk out repentance, turning away from that thing. So if you find yourself, maybe you find yourself today and there's some kind of sin in your life, drug addiction, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's an attitude or an attribute that you know is wrong and sinful and you need to deal with it. My question is, have you really ever mourned that sin? Have you really ever gone to the Lord and said, God, I don't want to do this because it hurts the heart of the one who died for me. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Here's number three. Blessed are the meek. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness, if you're taking notes, write this down. Meekness is not weakness. Being a meek person, I think sometimes we think that if we're going to be meek, it means we're going to have to let people run over us. We're going to have to be a doormat. And, and that can be, you know, we get kind of afraid of that. But you don't have to be afraid of this. In fact, the word meekness actually means power under control is what it means. And, and the word that was used in, in the, time, the days of Jesus, this Greek word paratus, it, it, it was what they would normally refer to when they were talking about a horse who had been broken and brought under submission for the master's use. So imagine, like, picture this with me. In your minds, I picture this horse, like, standing on a cliff, a wild stallion, muscles rippling, right? 
horsepower just personified, mane blowing in the wind kind of horse. Horsepower, right? Imagine that horse. And someone captures that horse, they bring it back to the barn, they begin to work with that horse, they train it. And imagine that same horse with a saddle on it carrying a, a three-year-old on a trail ride. Let me ask you something. Is that horse any less powerful than it was before? No. What's happened is its strength, its power was brought under control for the master's use. This is what God is inviting you to. He doesn't want to take, like that idea of standing on the cliff. Listen, I know a little bit about horses. I grew up around horses. At one point in my life, some of you heard this before, I actually wanted to be a team roper in rodeos. Like I was training for that. You're looking at me right now going, no way. <laughs> but it's true. It really was. I'm pretty good on a horse. I'm pretty good with a lasso. And someday when I teach you about faith, I'm going to show you. <laughs> I can rope still. It's awesome. My kids are blown away by it. Anyway. <laughs> But when you, when you are bring like a horse in the wild, like we think like that horse, that horse is really, like that's the good life. That horse is miserable. Horses need a master. They need help. Like their, their way, they're, they're, they get, they get their, their mane ain't blown in the wind. It's matted with burrs. Their hooves get messed up and it's terrible pain for them. Their legs, they are strong animals, but they are delicate animals and they need a master to help them. And one of the things when you're breaking a horse, I've, bro I've broken some horses before. One of the things that you're doing when you're breaking a horse is you're breaking the fear in that horse. You're not just trying to submit it to your will. You're trying, that horse, the reason why it needs to be broken is because it's terrified. And so what you're doing in training is you're teaching it, hey, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm for you. I'm trying to help you. I'm bringing you under control. I got apples for you. I got some oats for you. These oats are good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to comb you out, and I'm going to wash you off when you're hot. I'm going to do this. Kind of, I'm going to hot walk you. I'm going to do this stuff. And that horse learns to trust you. Listen, the same way, when God's inviting you to, to be a part of what he's doing, he's not trying to steal away your power. He's not trying to run over you. He's inviting you to something good. This is the blessed life. This is what the blessed life looks like, being brought under control for the master's use. God has some really good stuff in store for you if you're willing to be meek. Here's number four. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Somebody say, this is good stuff. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, you think about hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst are things that are tied to necessities, right? Like we get hungry because we need to eat, because we need food. Because if you don't have food, you die, right? You gotta eat. Uh, you get thirsty and you need water because water's necessary. And so we have these appetites that are attached to, uh, to our life. In the same way, what God is saying here is, is blessed is the person who has a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. That righteousness, right standing with God, right standing with yourself, right standing with others, is something that we as God's people should have a hunger and a thirst for. It's something that we should be going after. Here's a definition of righteousness is to be right with God, to be right with self, and to be right with others. And it goes on from there. It's walking in a holiness and wholeness that begins in your inner self. So Jesus is saying that, that we must have a desire to be righteousness, to walk out this righteousness in these different areas of our life. So let me break these down for you. First of all, there's your righteousness with God, your right standing with God. Just so you know, that's something you can't earn. That's something that is freely given to you, is freely received through Jesus Christ. 
the Bible says that your righteousness is filthy rags. In other words, it's garbage. You know why? Because it ain't perfect. You can't be perfect enough. Look at the person beside you and say, you ain't perfect. Ain't nobody perfect. We can't be perfect. But there was one who was perfect. And his name was Jesus. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. And now what we can do is because we can't be perfect, but that's what God requires. We can receive of his perfection and receive of his righteousness and right standing with God. The Bible says it like this, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin, that's, there's the perfectness, he was perfect, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So part of our righteousness, our right standing is recognizing like, it's not of my works. I can't boast over this. I can't, I can't earn this. It's, it's freely given by grace, by mercy through God. I, I'm able to have right standing with God. And one of the things God is saying here is that we need to bless as the person who really looks at that and examines that, has a hunger and a thirst to get a full revelation of just how right we've been made because of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, meditating on what Jesus has done and how right he's made you is a powerful thing for you as a believer. It'll set you free. And then beyond that, we need to have a rightness with ourselves. How many of you know sometimes you can have some stuff within you that ain't right, right? And so there's this idea that, that is kind of referred to here of this wholeness. Because you know the tendency is that we can live a kind of divided life. Like think about a pizza, think about a pie. You know, you take a pizza and you cut it into slices. Take a pie, you cut it into pieces. God doesn't want you living a life like that where your life is divided up into these little sections and you're one way around this group and you're another way around this group. And God's not interested in that. He didn't want that. But yet that's how we'll live. There was this idea in, in the Greek time of like when they would do plays, there was this person called the Hippocrito. It was where we get the word hypocrite. It was a person that would come out in these plays and they would put on a mask and they would play lots of different roles. And how they would transition from role to role is by putting on a mask. So they'd come out as one character and they'd play a role and they'd have a mask on and then they'd go backstage, grab a different mask, come back out. Same person, but a different character because of a mask. We have a tendency as people to do this, to be the hypocrito, to be the hypocrite, to put on masks. And we're one way, you know, with our team and then we're another way at home. Or one way with the girls at the lunch table at school, and there were another way at the dinner table with our family at home. We're one way when we're out on the road, you know, traveling, doing business, and then we're another way when we come home and we're with our spouse. God looks at that and he says, no, no, no. You need to have a hunger and a thirst to live a whole life, to not have this inner battle going on, to not be masked in how you live. God's looking for a whole life. We need to hunger and thirst for being the same person all the time. That's what God's saying. And then he says uh, that we should have this righteousness with, with God, with ourself, and then with others. And it's so beautiful about this, this right standing with others, that we should live a holy life. Now listen, again, it's not about gaining your right standing with God. It's about displaying your right standing with God. It's that your holiness would demonstrate to the world that you are with God. We should hunger and thirst, because guess what? There's a world out there that's hungry and thirsty, and they don't know what they're hungry for. They're hungry for that same righteousness, but they don't know what it looks like until they see you displaying it. And then they see you walking in holiness. They see you walking in wholeness. They see you walking connected with God, and they see something in you, and they say, oh, that looks good. That, man, I can taste and see. You got something that I like. I want what you have. 
There's a hunger and a thirst we should have for righteousness because it creates in the world around us a hunger and thirst for that same kind of righteousness that leads people to Jesus. I am preaching good this morning. (laughs) Sorry, getting all excited myself. God's blessing me. All right, number five. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Verse seven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Jesus wants us to be merciful. You know why? Because God is merciful. You know, we've all received mercy. Luke 6, 36 says, be merciful. Now look at this. This is the standard for mercy. Like you should circle this verse, write this down. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. I ain't talking about your dad. That's talking about God. Father God. So the standard for mercy is the same mercy that the Father God has given us. So let me just remind you of something. The Bible tells us we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So that's what we deserve. That's what we earned. And yet we receive mercy through Jesus and we don't get what we deserve. That's mercy. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Because of Jesus, we don't have to receive the wage of sin, death. In fact, we can receive through grace the life of God. It's such an amazing, powerful thing. And so since we've received this mercy, we need to share this mercy with the world. And when we don't do it, we're being hypocritical and we're being judgmental. We're being hypocritical in that we've received something that we don't want to give to other people. That's hypocritical. And we're being judgmental in that we're saying, well, I deserved this, but you don't. That's, that's judgmental. And so God's inviting us to extend mercy to the world at the same standard by which God gave it to us. So what is that standard? That means they didn't earn it, but they get it anyways. And this is how you get to that place where your joy ain't touched. Because if your joy, if you're saying you got to earn mercy with me, then that person can touch your joy. But when you're willing to just say, you know what? Far be it from me to not extend to you mercy when I've been extended mercy by God. I freely give to you, man, that's the person that your joy ain't touched by what other people do in your life. When you're willing to live that kind of life. Blessed, oh how happy are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. Some of you, maybe you're going, man, I need some mercy, right? Like I'm screaming uncle right now. Like somebody give me some mercy. You want mercy? Start extending it. Start giving it away unmerited, undeserved mercy to people around you. Instead of looking at everybody and judging everybody and judging everybody's posts and judging everybody's Instagram feeds and getting all upset and all in your feelings, just start extending mercy. How about you pray for people? Instead of just getting mad and upset and talking bad about them, why don't you pray for them? Pray for Disney. (laughs) Lord, help them. The more mercy you give, the more mercy you receive. Here's number six. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart means singleness of heart, an unmixed heart, an undivided heart. I've said this at New Song Church many times, but it bears repeating. Jesus didn't die on the cross so he could possibly crack your top ten list. He died on the cross so that he could be in the number one spot. He wants to be enthroned on your heart. You shall have no other gods before me. God wants to be number one. Numero uno, number one. And so we look at a verse like this, blessed are the pure in heart, and we go, okay, yeah, I shouldn't have sinful stuff enthroned on my heart. 
The problem is, yes, and that's true, obviously. But the problem is, for me personally, it's not always the sinful stuff that gets enthroned on my heart. Sometimes it's the blessings of God that I'll enthrone on my heart. Like, how sad is it that sometimes God comes along, he blesses us with something, and we take that something and we replace his position in our heart with the thing he blessed us with. Isn't that kind of lame? Like, think about that in your relationship. Like, you've got a boyfriend, girlfriend, your spouse, you give them a gift, and then they begin to just focus on the gift you gave them all the time and never pay attention to you anymore. You'd be like, I wish I wouldn't have given them that. I wonder how often we, we're withheld some of the blessings God wants to put in our life because he knows we can't handle it. Ooh, that's good. So, so the idea here, and I've been guilty of this. There's been times in my life when I've enthroned Sarah on the throne of my heart. I put her before God. I've put my kids on the throne of my heart. I've put pastoring. Like, it's a good thing. I'm a pastor. Like, this is God's call on my life. But if I'm not careful, I can place this role this mantle in a position and I put what I'm doing here above me connecting with God the way I'm supposed to. So some of you are looking at me right now and you're going, oh my gosh, I'm doing this. Yeah. And if you are, listen, don't feel bad. Just change. See, here's the nature of how it works. We tend to allow stuff because the enemy's always trying to get you to enthrone new stuff on your heart. So we'll tend to kind of take that up. So what we have to do is intentionally choose to keep Jesus on the throne of our heart, to keep him number one, to pursue him. And here's what's so awesome. When you do it, the promise is you'll see God. Like you'll see God. You know, one of the things I've been trying to do, and listen, I'm not saying this to try to make myself sound impressive to you because I've only been doing this for about, uh, you know, 30-something days now. But about a month ago, God kind of put on my heart this idea that as the head of my house, as the man of my house, I want to be the first up, last down every day. So I'm going to be the first person awake every day, and I'm going to be the last one to go to bed every day. It doesn't mean I'm the last one in bed. It's just the last one to go to sleep. So the problem is Sarah likes to get up early. <laughs> so in order for me to be the first one up and to beat her by a little bit, because my, here's my intention, that I would get up and that I would spend time with the Lord in worship and prayer and kind of getting my day started so that my family wakes up to a house that's already had the presence of God stirred up in it. So in order for me to do that, I got to get up at 5 a.m. every day. That takes intentionality. I've been doing it for 30 days, and I've noticed I haven't woke up one time without my alarm. Requires the alarm. And I have to make a decision when that alarm goes up goes off, get up. I don't want to, but I do it. Now listen, I'm not trying to make myself sound impressive because I'm not. What I'm saying is you, you take the, the time to be intentional. And here's what I've seen. Man, God shows up. He's, he's knocking on the door of your heart. He wants to be invited and you invite him in. And all of a sudden now I see, I see God all over the place in my life. Like in his real, like even more so than I've ever had before. I'll see God show up and he's showing up in our marriage. I'll see him show up in conversations. Like I'm taking my kids to school and they ask me some question and I just get this Holy Spirit inspired answer and way to communicate it to them where they can really get it. Like I'm seeing God show, we're seeing God show up so much in our life right now. Why? Because we're intentional to invite God in, put him in that throne 
put him on the throne where he deserves. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Lord, I don't want a defiled heart. I want a divided heart. I, want, I don't want a, I want a mixed, I don't want a mixed heart. I want you to be number one in my heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You can see God in your conversations. You can see God in your marriage. You can see God in your life if you'll invite him in. Here's number seven. Blessed are the peacemakers. Verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now notice, we're not called to be peace lovers. We're called to be peacemakers, which means that we're not just, it's not just that we're experiencing peace, but that we're championing this peace. We're bringing this peace into the world. Now, in order for you to bring the kind of peace God's called you to bring into the world, you have to connect with the source of peace. Yeah. And the source of peace is God. Let me give you some verses on this. Matthew, or Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Isaiah 9, 6 calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. Hebrews 6, 10 says this about Jesus. He's the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, that name means the King of Peace. So Jesus uh, was a minister of peace. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Galatians uh, 5, talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Okay, so get this. God is a God of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Peace. So if you want to carry out the peace of God in this world, you've got to connect with the source of peace. You've got to connect with God. You've got to connect with God's word, the, the Bible. You've got to see what it says and, and live by it. You've got to connect with Jesus, get a revelation of the cross, what it means to you, what, the peace that he's brought to your life because of what he was willing to do to bring peace to you with God through, through his sacrifice on the cross. And you connect with the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, invite him in. Listen, it, the fruit of the spirit is the fruit that the spirit produces. It's not the fruit of you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So if you want the fruit of the Spirit of peace in your life, you have to invite the Spirit in. You have to keep be being filled with the Holy Spirit, inviting Him in to do what only He can do. God is the source of peace. If you want to be a peacemaker, you have to connect with Him and have a daily dependence on God and on the Holy Spirit. And here's number eight. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So something that you need to come to terms with as a Christ follower, as a person who is, what we're, what we're talking about this year, New Song Church, practicing the way of Jesus. You know, you probably noticed that we've been in series that are just all about Jesus so far this year. We're really championing that idea. We want to practice the way of Jesus. What does that mean? That means we look like Jesus to the world. We talk like Jesus talked to the world. We do the same kind of things that Jesus did in the world. We're going to be people who are, who are bringing his kingdom rule and reign into a world, not living culture up, but living kingdom down. We're going to be those kind of people. So we're saying we want to look like Jesus. Guess what? You're going to get treated like Jesus was treated. And what did they do to Jesus? They killed him. Because the world didn't like his kingdom. They didn't like what he was trying to bring. This is the, the invitation Philippians 3 talks about. You will share in the fellowship of his sufferings. If you dare to live as a beatitude believer, guess what? The world ain't going to like it. Because a lot of these attitudes, man, they kick at the attitudes of the world. See, I think sometimes we think related to walking with God. It, you know, you probably heard that verse that talks about the wide road and the narrow road. 
Uh, wide is the road that leads to destruction and many are on it. And then there's the narrow road and it leads to life. And maybe you've kind of thought, you know, these, these two roads, this is how they work. And there's the wide road and it's, it's going that way. And there's the narrow road and it's kind of right beside the wide road. It's just narrow, which means you got to pay a little bit more attention as you walk down it so you don't kind of fall off of it. But I want you to know that's really not the best picture of what these roads look like. Okay, this is what the narrow road looks like. The narrow road runs right down smack in the middle of the wide road going in the opposite direction. One time I was, I was leaving a sporting event and as I was getting out, I realized that I left something inside that I needed to go back and get. And it was right as the game was ending. So I'm trying to go into the stadium while everybody else is leaving the stadium. So there's some collisions taking place and there are people looking at me and annoyed by me because I'm trying to go in the opposite direction of the direction everybody else is going. This is a beautiful picture of what it means to walk the narrow road. There are going to be some collisions if you are choosing to live this kingdom life that Jesus calls you to. You're gonna run into some people and people aren't gonna like it. Let me just remind you of some of these attributes we're supposed to carry out and how they differ according to the world. The kingdom is about being poor in spirit. American culture is about convincing the world that we are somebody. The kingdom is about mourning over sin. American culture is about making excuses and moving on. The kingdom is about meekness. American culture is about the most aggressive person getting ahead. The kingdom is about hungering for holiness and righteousness. American culture is eat, drink, be merry, and you only live once. The kingdom is about mercy. American culture is, well, we'll give you mercy if we really deem you, you, you deserve it. The kingdom is about purity and heart. American culture is about perpetual factory of idols. The kingdom is about peacemaking. American culture is about point making. If you're gonna live according to the kingdom, I'm just telling you, the world ain't gonna get it and they're not gonna like it. In fact, it's interesting, this is the only beatitude that Jesus actually adds to. We don't just get one verse related to this, when we actually get three. Matthew 5, 11 and 12, look at this. Going on after he talks about, blessed are those who are persecuted, verse 11. Blessed are they when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Notice this. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. How did they persecute the prophets before you? They killed them. Now we live in America and we're not necessarily facing like, you know, the threat of physical death when we walk out our faith. But I hope you do know that that still exists in the world. Somewhere between 50 and 90,000 people are martyred every year for their faith. They don't know exactly how many because so much of it takes place underground hidden away. But there are people dying for their faith probably right now as we speak being tortured and punished for their faith. Now we don't feel that, but I want you to know, you're gonna have to die for your faith. And here's how you die in American culture. You die to the acceptance of the world. You die to the approval of the world. You die to everybody liking you and giving you the thumbs up. They're not always gonna like you. Sometimes they're gonna look at you and they're gonna say, oh, you're spreading hate. You're narrow-minded. You're old-fashioned. They're gonna say this about you. And the question is, are you willing to stand for what's right in the middle of a culture that's all going in the same direction? 
Are you willing to die to what the world thinks? Because you're not about pleasing them, you're about pleasing your Father in heaven. Because here's the reality for every person in here. You will either die to the approval of this world or in pursuit of the approval of this world, you will die to the purpose God has for your life. Which one are you willing to lay down on the altar and sacrifice? I don't know about you, but I'm not looking for this world to look at me and say, hey man, well done. You're nailing it according to this culture. We're really pleased with you. That's not the appraise I'm looking for. I'm looking to get to heaven someday and God look at me and said, well done, good and faithful servant. And then enter into your blessing and your reward. Second Corinthians 4 says it like this. You should write this verse down. Look at this verse. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though out, outwardly we are wasting away. What does that mean? It means living in this world physically, in this world, you're dying. Like we're wasting away. We're getting weaker. We're getting older. Like that's just the reality. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. So even though your physical body is breaking down inwardly, you should be getting better all the time. For our light, notice how, notice how God puts this, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Notice that this stuff we deal with in this world, it's, it's just such a short light moment in time. Like this is a blip on the screen. And yet what we're doing with this blip is affecting eternity. Verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Whose praise are you after? If you are a believer, a kingdom person, you will be persecuted in this world. They will look at you. They will say things against you. But great is your reward in following after Jesus and living what he's called you to look at. Are you willing to die to the approval of this world. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.